This is the Making Common Cause podcast, part of Our Cultural Commons from Voluntary Arts. I'm Robin Simpson from Voluntary Arts, and this is episode three of the Making Common Cause podcast. If you haven't heard the first episode, our extended panel discussion marking the launch of the Making Common Cause book, I suggest you listen to that first. You should be able to find it wherever you got this podcast, or you can listen at www.voluntaryarts.org stroke Making Common Cause, where you can also download a copy of the book. For this episode, I've been talking to my colleagues Gareth Coles, Director of Voluntary Arts Wales, and Dennis Stewart, Chair of Voluntary Arts Ireland, one of the three editors of the Making Common Cause book. But first, I went to the Café of the British Library in London to talk to Victoria Hume, Director of the Culture, Health and Wellbeing Alliance. Victoria, what did you make of Making Common Cause? I found it really fascinating. I've not read the whole thing, I should uh, admit that from, from the off, but I've been listening to the podcast and I've read uh, one or two of the essays. I think it's a really timely publication, um, especially with all the conversations we're having at the moment around cultural democracy and uh, for us in the Alliance, I'm particularly interested in questions around what culture, what we mean by the word culture. Um, and having worked in an academic setting for the last few years, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of struck by the, the, the difference, but also the, the possibilities between the sort of, let's say, the Arts Council concept of culture, which is all around heritage and, and arts provision, and a sociologist's or an anthropologist's concept of culture, which is a much broader idea about cultural identity, cultural history, how we kind of... Um, how we all might lock together as a society. So, um, yeah, I think for me personally it's going to be very helpful thinking through some of those questions. That that idea of locking together as a society, I'm struck by uh, Nat O'Connor's article about uh, social well-being, Mm. and he talks a lot about mental illness as the fastest-growing issue in the Western world, and that being a a kind of result of our changing lifestyles and our changing social patterns, Mm. uh, and the notion that uh, actually we're reducing social connectedness and sort of traditional ways of engaging in community. Mm. Is it as simple as that? Is that... Probably Social not. engagement, the answer to, to our well-being? I mean, I hope so. Um, I do think that there are problems with fracture and fragmentation, and but some of that is positive and some of it's about um, people kind of rethinking their identities. There was some quite interesting talk in one of the podcasts about this sort of neoliberal ideas of cohesion and how we all kind of have to fall together under the banner of a coherent society and how problematic that is as well. So I think some of the some of the fracturing is happening because people are resisting a kind of fake idea of, of cohesion. Um, but but we do have to find ways of speaking across difference. Ultimately, otherwise uh, we're really in trouble. Um, so yeah, I mean I was I was reading I was rereading that piece again this morning and I I was struck by that um, his phrase the power of the arts to speak frankly and I yeah I was at a um, meeting at Nesty yesterday about social movements and um, not quite sure how it all connects but I've been thinking a lot about this, the way that we talk about the arts as if they are a benign force (laughs) that can be a bit tricky because obviously the arts are like anything in society, they're as invested in all of our uh, power structures as anything else is so we have to be a bit cautious I think about seeing the arts as the solution when they can often be part of the problem um, that's not to say that there isn't facility within the arts to be 
anarchic in a way that is perhaps harder in other forms of communication. So I think there is, well, obviously, I think there's huge value in, in pursuing that, otherwise I wouldn't be doing this job. But I think, um, yeah, I think we have to treat the arts and culture with caution sometimes, uh, and they aren't inevitably going to be the solution. When, when we talk about well-being and, and particularly the impact that the arts and culture can have on well-being, yeah. um, so much of that seems to stem actually from the, the mere act of social interaction. It's bringing people together. And you know, to some extent, the well-being impacts we claim could actually derive from any sort of social activity. I, I'm quite interested in the, the, what the additional thing about, about the arts is. Nat, Nat O'Connor talked, you know, quote Socrates, the unexamined life is not worth living. Yeah. And so the, the sort of power of the arts to help you examine your life, to help you understand your life, as opposed to just the power of the arts as being a fun thing to do that brings people together, which, which shouldn't be underestimated, but is, is very much that sort of social well-being mm. component. I mean, it's interesting that you say that about, about the... So it's, it's interesting for me, because the arts and health movement, as I... When I first got involved, it was through arts in hospitals. And I'm not sure that its history has always been about participatory practice in the way that your question implies. It's, a lot of it was actually about, um, you know, the, the, about places and how to make... A, yeah, I mean, a strong part of our history is about the hospital arts and about how you make a place a more, um, I suppose, desirable, kind of welcoming place. And implied in that is very much stuff to do with how hospitals connect to their wider communities and how we function in those spaces. But there is stuff in our heritage about a much more passive form of arts engagement that is to do with looking at pictures and listening to music. And So it's, it's interesting that there's been this shift toward participatory practice, which is very substantial. And I think that is where the energy is now. Um, and it's, it's perhaps recolouring the way that we think about those more um, ways of consuming the arts I, I was part of a randomised control trial um, I say that with some trepidation knowing the reputation of randomised control trials in the arts but um, to do with singing for breathing some years ago and we were trying to um, figure out whether there is something specific to do with singing that isn't the same as um, there was a Brazilian study that compared origami with singing, I mean they're both art forms but there it was very clear that it was the sort of communal activity that was key so it comes back to that again um i think i think in research terms it is quite difficult to pull out what's specific about the arts it's just uh, certainly if you take those kind of conventional research approaches i think this comes back to the the thing about culture and what the line is between what we consider cultural activities and what is cultural identity and the doing of stuff together is culture whether you have a painting in front of you or a, or a garden is kind of irrelevant I think I mean we spent too long fighting about which art forms are good for which thing and uh, and also yeah kind of dividing ourselves up into little boxes which is a bit of a mistake I think I mean I, I wrote a blog about this recently I, I remember going to see the chair of the Royal College of Physicians years ago about and trying to persuade him that the arts were something that they should be engaging in and he was very excited about gardening and I got really frustrated at the time because I just I kept thinking but you why are you talking about the arts you keep talking about gardening now I just think that was a stupid distinction on my part I think the key thing is about imagination and agency and how there is benefit in giving people the space to use our innate creativity I guess and there's something about society at the moment that is squashing that down somewhat and 
the old-fashioned ideas about the arts being things that only clever people can make and only people who've had certain training can make, and which is all nonsense, obviously, need to be got rid of. And so I guess cultural commons is all about that, really, and trying to make sure that we all can access those parts of us that allow us to contribute actively to society rather than just be pigeonholed by it. I'm joined now by Gareth Coles, Director of Voluntary Arts Wales, and by Dennis Stewart, the Chair of Voluntary Arts Ireland. Dennis is one of the three editors of the Making Common Cause book, and Dennis, I'd like to start by looking at your article on cultural commons and civic conversations. In the context of Making Common Cause, why is conversation so important? Okay, Robin. Well, I first thing I want to say is that uh, I think conversation is obviously an important part of our human humanity or humanness uh, we we talk a lot to each other we talk to ourselves we talk in our homes we talk in our workplaces in our classrooms and when we talk and we listen we learn um, i've become particularly interested in the last few years in what happens when people have conversations in civic spaces and uh, called those civic conversations where people come together and they talk about things that matter to them as citizens in whatever sense of the word citizens but also there, there's a kind of confluence between that and the cultural commoning process where again people gather to do something together and in the course of doing that conversation is very much part of what they do and indeed i am suggesting that conversation is at the heart of that process um for a number a number of ways one is that it's a in itself it's a, a creative culture activity when you're having a conversation you're doing something culturally creative um it's 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 um i think i'd refer to it as a transformative cultivating process the, the metaphors like plowing you're plowing together uh, in the field and, and cultivating the ground the second the second way in which it's important i, I think is that it's a precursor um it's i've seen it happening you people have a conversation and it leads into some thoughts about possible collaborative activities that they may engage in, in in a cultural way and then thirdly of course when you're doing the collaboration when you're doing the culture when you're cooperating um to if you like make versions of culture together then you're actually constantly engaged engage in conversation so it's very much integral to the practicalities of doing culture making common cause focuses on the notion of abundance rather than scarcity Given that idea that of conversation is the common interchange of ordinary intelligence, is conversation a prime example of us making better use of those assets that we all have in abundance? Well, the short answer is yes. Um, <laughs> um, why do I say that? Well, when I mean conversation is a marvelous process. When people get together uh, and they talk and they think and they listen and they learn together, they are pulling personal resources they're bringing together and sharing personal resources of knowledge skills experiences insights energy personal energy all of those things happen in a good conversation a conversation that's more than just cosmetic that goes into deeper deeper issues um, so i think that's very much part of what uh, cultural economy is about it it's a it's a, like, a, like a pulling together forgive me for the use of two two pullings the pulling together to pull through pulling our resources um, and uh, conversation is really very much a part of that new ideas emerge um, fresh possibilities occur to people 
and often there are innovative initiatives that that grow out of that sort of conversation so it's a, it's very much recognizing that we all bring a lot of to the conversation we have abundance within ourselves and when we pull that we have even more abundance and from that we can draw creatively gareth what did you learn from making common cause i followed the series of articles online first of all and i have to say it's lovely to have the book now to kind of uh, to go over them again i've been i've been making notes it's it's fully annotated my version of the of the book now um i suppose broadly i felt um it was it felt very timely uh, the sense of um people coming together uh, pooling their existing capabilities and, and, and skills and, and resources and making common cause together it seems incredibly important and urgent now and the couple of points that dennis just made about the, this starting from a, a position of of abundance rather than a deficit encouraging it's really encouraging to see that all these local examples are part of a wider shared movement and it chimes with some of the things that we've certainly been seeing in wales and, and exploring in wales recently as well tell us a bit about your recent program of creative community conversations across wales Creative Community Conversations is a research project that uh, was supported by the Arts Council of Wales and its essence it seeks to explore um, and surface the breadth and diversity of everyday grassroots creativity that happens in communities right across Wales and the, the things that may not necessarily benefit from public subsidy that may not be on the radar of public funders but nevertheless are happening um, in towns and communities right throughout Wales it took um, a couple of different forms. Firstly, it took the form of a series of, of conversations, open conversations using the methodology that Voluntary Arts uh, Development delivered for our work to explore creative cultural activity within Black, Asian, minority, ethnic uh, communities in 2016. So those were often long, face-to-face, uh, -face, unstructured, um, informal conversations, um, starting very much with the spirit of inquiry and curiosity. And what those conversations overall sought to do was seek to draw out some of the reasons that people and groups take part in creative activity, some of the shared characteristics of that creative activity. We sought to explore some of the challenges faced by those individuals and groups. And then lastly, I suppose, some of the conditions that really help those grassroots community, creative communities to, to thrive. And we supplemented these conversations in a more, I suppose, quantitative way with a series of surveys. We did some work into exploring creative activity within the setting of religious buildings. And then um, we did a survey of creative activity that took place in, in Welsh uh, public libraries as well. So again, that sort of, we may come onto this, but that sense of that common space owned and shared by the community um, is vitally important um, for so many different types of creativity throughout Wales. Going back to the conversations themselves, did, did you see examples of the elements of civic conversation that Dennis describes in his article, that, uh, that idea of a cooperative activity with people working things out for themselves? Uh, yes, I did. And a couple of things struck me. Firstly, I suppose the people and secondly, the space. I've been thinking quite a bit about some of the group leaders or facilitators um, who instigates, in, in many cases, the creative activity that takes place in communities. So that role of, um, of the initiator, a lot of those people had their own creative practices previously, but now saw their own sort of 
creative endeavor as that of facilitating or enabling others to take part. And it struck me they were often maybe the host or the instigator of some of the conversations that Dennis is, is talking about that um, maybe focused on a particular creative activity, but maybe enable that um, the conversation that leads to a kind of wider civic engagement amongst the participants from that. So that was one thing. The other thing was the space where people come together and the particular characteristics of the spaces that people feel uh, welcomed, safe, I suppose, reassured enough to, to, to take a challenge, you know, to challenge themselves or to be challenged um, in a meaningful, satisfying uh, creative activity. But also then maybe to, that's a good space to have a conversation. And we, we talk about the different kinds of uh, conversations that participants might have in creative groups. Sometimes you can just, that kind of, it, it, that pleasing silence that takes place when everyone's at ease with each other. Um, particularly, I think, in kind of visual arts and crafts, uh, there's that sort of nervous chatter that starts, and then you sort of settle down into that easy, sort of focused attention, and everyone's very at ease with each other. And then the, the conversation at the end, where the energy's up again. And that's a, that's a good space to have a conversation. We've also talked about sometimes a difficult conversation is easier to shoulder to shoulder rather than face to face when you're focused on a different activity. But um, you can up, open up to someone because you're both focused on something as well. And it seems that um, a lot of these important conversations happen as a consequence of people coming together simply around a shared creative activity. Gemma Neville, our Director of Voluntary Arts Scotland, spoke about how we have better conversations when we're making, and that idea that uh, the lack of eye contact focusing on a task is often quite useful. Uh, the classic example is people sat next to each other in a car facing forward tend to have better conversations. Yeah, yes, I, I'm fascinated by that, that image and I recognise that. At the same time, I think there is something about that sort of uh, turning towards each other from time to time, which is so important. That's again that sense of what the root meaning of conversation is turning together and uh, it's very interesting notion that you can play around with the word wonderfully and I, I love that connection between the doing things with your hands and and having a conversation which is is in itself creative um can i just come back uh, robin to the what gareth was saying about the the people in the space i mean both those things are absolutely crucial the space has to be somehow conducive to having a conversation it's a statement of the obvious so you don't have people lined up in chairs facing the front they're sitting around sitting around either in circles or around tables or whatever they happen to have, have to use in that space. But the other thing is this, the role of the, the host facilitator. People talk, have conversations spontaneously, but it's, it's often very helpful to have someone there to, to, as it were, invite the conversation, invite people into the room and to host and to do some sort of gentle facilitation, just enough structure to give it a little bit of life and perhaps give it a little bit of purpose to what people are talking about, um, which is something I think Voluntary Arts has a real important role to play because we're learning a lot from your experiences, Gareth, and, and other people's experiences about how this is done. And perhaps we should be beginning to share some of that, uh, that experience and, and offering that to the wider community. Yeah, I think um, it demonstrates a real sensitivity, a real skill um, on the part of those hosts, as you say, Dennis, to to, to maybe open up that conversation and not 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 force it, and I've seen this happen over in some cases weeks uh, as as new people start um, very tentatively uh, um, in, uh, joining in that creative activity, joining in that conversation, and then that 
you know, both in terms of their participation in the creative activity and their sort of social participation in the group. That needs to be managed carefully in some cases. People um, sometimes they haven't left their home for a long time and the creative group is a, is a, becomes a lifeline for them. I can think of examples where I've been to groups and haven't met some of the members simply because they're out, one is accompanying another to a hospital visit, both of whom previously would have been um, on their own in their home and one hadn't left for, for years and years. So there's a real sensitivity and skill in, in sort of encouraging people to, to become participants again, not only in creative activity, but in wider society. And I think there's almost in a kind of an inevitable link or um, direction from that sort of social participation in, in a creative activity to that kind of wider civic engagement as well. Uh, just a, a reference, one of the other articles which I found, which I go back to, you've gone back to a couple of times, is the one by Beban Kidron about five rights. And she talks about how when she first got into a room to, to explore with others our cultural commons in Edinburgh a few years ago, and she was struck by how important the gathering was. And I think that's really in a way what we're talking about here is the importance of people gathering. She actually says uh, she realized during this meeting getting people together wasn't the method, it was the point. And I think that touches what you've just said, Gareth. For, for lots of people, maybe for everyone in some sense, it's the gathering together in a civic space, whether it's a church hall or some other cafe or wherever it happens to be, that is in itself the point of what they do. And from that, other things may flow. Uh, but in, in, that, in that act itself, they're doing something really important and really culturally creative in itself and good for them and for their well-being. To download a copy of Making Common Cause, please visit www.voluntaryarts.org stroke Making Common Cause, where you will also find details of how you can join our conversation by using the hashtag Making Common Cause and by joining the Making Common Cause WhatsApp group, where you can access exclusive audio and video content. Thanks for listening. I look forward to hearing your thoughts about Making Common Cause.